All right. This is not about religion. In fact, Jesus is the most non-religious person that has ever lived. And you're like, wait a second. I thought he literally founded a religion. No. He is the most non-religious person in the world. He came to a world that was filled and, and dedicated to many religions, but in his world that he was born in, in Israel, it, 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 was, it was religious zeal was the name of the game. That was what everybody was into. You know, little kids, by the time they were just, just little, little, you know, uh, Jewish kids. I was trying to come up with like Julitz or something, some funny word. They would have the entire Torah memorized. Could you imagine memorizing the whole Old Testament in Hebrew? You don't even speak Hebrew. That would be crazy. Well, that's the world Jesus was born into, an extremely religious world. All kinds of different, every nation had their own religions. They were all really dedicated to him, and he destroyed the whole system. His life and death and, and what he came to bring really destroyed a, a life of religion. It did. So much so that all the people who met him and were committed to their religions, they all teamed up and killed him. I am a Christian, but that is not a religious thing for me. And for you, probably, huh? Amen? All right. Feel free to talk. Being a Christian is anti-religious, irreligious, because our founder and the one we follow, he was anti-religion, irreligion, hostile to religion. Jesus only got angry with a few people in his life. And you know who they were? Religious people. He never got angry at sinners. Do you recall that? No one was more hostile to religion than Jesus was. Again, he's the most anti-religious person ever. So what what does it mean? What does religion mean? Well, in the Bible, the the word religion is a pretty negative word. It's dealt with negatively. And it means the outward way that men created to try to relate to God and connect with God based on outward things, not based on the heart. That's what we mean when we say religion. So the main idea of religion is opposed to the gospel. Because the gospel says it does not matter what your outsides look like, which is really good as I look around our church. (laughs) It's really important what your outsides look like. That's what religion says. Jesus says it's not important what your outside look like. It's what your insides look like, what your heart looks like. And that's what Jesus was all about. So the main idea of religion is opposed to the gospel. When people hear the word religion in our world, what do they think of? Do they think of free forgiveness? Do they think of free acceptance and love? I'm going to go get involved with religion so I can feel... 
I don't think that's the context that we have in our world today. Do they think of mercy that covers sin and makes provision for all that I will ever need? Is that what religion brings up in people's lives? Do they think of the gospel and grace? I don't think so. So we need to change that. What people should think of when they think of church is something totally different. God's love and God's grace. It's where we go when we are broken, when we are hurting, and when we have failed. I think people think of this when they hear religion, the word religion. They think of what I need to do for God. What I need to do for God. Traditions I don't understand and I don't value. Things I need to do for God that will get God's love or appease his anger against me. That's what people think of when they think of religion. And so we need to understand that the gospel of Jesus is not a religion in any way. It's the opposite of religion. Got it? Two Jesus points. <laughs> it's been a while since I've given out Jesus points, so I just got to start small. <laughs> All right, so these are two separate sides. You got opposing forces, religion and the gospel. And the idea or impression by those outside the church and many people inside the church is that we have to do certain things or practice certain religious rituals in order to obtain God's favor. What do you need to do to get God's favor? And people think religion answers that question, but rituals could never secure God's love or appease his anger. It's playing around It doesn't work. It'll never really do anything. Rituals. Rituals. How do I know? How can I be so bold in making that statement? Because Jesus told me so. Not in a conversation. In the Bible. Religion tells me, get right, get clean, and get busy to get on God's good side. That's what they think. That's what religion tells me. Get right, get clean, and get busy to get on God's good side. Jesus tells me, I've come for those who are wrong, dirty, and can't do anything for me. Those are my people. People think Christianity is a religion. It is not. Some people think church is for good, clean people who do good, clean things for God. And if you're honest at all, you're going to quickly realize and you'll probably confess that you are not good and clean. And so church and Christianity must not be for you. That's the only logical conclusion. If God's only interested in good, clean people, then he's not interested in me. I've had friends that have rejected that world, that that kind of religion because they're honest about themselves. 
But they are not rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting the religion that they think Jesus is locked inside of. Because Jesus isn't that. The truth is that God loves and uses bad people because there aren't any other kind of people. He loves and uses bad people. He cares about us so much. Religion is what I do for God, which is nothing. And real Christianity, following Jesus, is about what God did for me. Everything. Are you guys seeing the line? Are you seeing the difference? The vast difference between the two? She got it. (laughs) He got it. (laughs) It's just do it versus it is finished. Church is supposed to be a weekly confession of how weak and sinful and terrible and self-focused and bad we are. And a weekly celebration of how merciful, loving, kind, and gracious God is. Does that get you pumped up? Yeah. That's what church is supposed to be. And that's our big picture plan here. Less of me, more of him. Less religion and more relationship with Jesus. Less competition and more compassion. Many people have uh, gone to church and they hear a message of what we need to do for God. And many more people have rejected that message after they try it or think about it because they think that's hard or even ridiculous to try because we are broken. And trying harder is the whole plan of religion. Pray more, read more, do more, be more. It's all about you. It's all about my obedience, my faithfulness, earning and deserving and scorekeeping and measuring my life. Let me tell you a secret that will never, ever work and it will never improve you because measuring you and looking at you doesn't fix you. Looking at Jesus fixes you. Keeping your eyes focused on his finished work, that is the key. In religion, there's no room for failure. There's no place for weakness or brokenness is looked down upon. Christianity is all about Jesus Christ, right? Christianity. It's about what he did and what he does for me, even though I never deserve it. Never. I'm always broken. Failure. That's a good word to describe me and us. Weak. Broken again. (laughs) But Jesus has saved me when I have done nothing. He accepts me when I have done nothing. And he produces in me all that I will ever be asked to do and become. 
and he doesn't do it through my power. He doesn't do it through, do it through my efforts. He always does it through his grace, exclusively through his own power. So grace, that is unconditional acceptance given to undeserving people by an unobligated giver. Let me say that again. Grace is unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. It's not fair. Grace is never fair. It's love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. It's love. It loves you when you are unlovable. Isn't that amazing? And that's what that text that says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. No one fights against religion and more for grace than Jesus does. It's his singular passion, and that's good for me and for you. So with that all in mind, we're just going to briefly look at Luke chapter 7, and we're going to talk about Simon the Pharisee. Okay, Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus. So what is a Pharisee? A Pharisee is a very religious person, uh, the most religious person. And he invites Jesus over for dinner to kind of investigate him, interrogate him. He wants to find out if this Jesus is really the son of God. And then the town prostitute is going to hear that Jesus is in town. And so he is gonna, she is going to crash the party and have an encounter with Jesus. So let me just start Luke 7.36. Then one, of the, then one of the Pharisees, we know it's Simon, asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. So Simon is an uber-religious man, and he has lots of religious friends, and they are considering Jesus, testing him out to see if he's the Messiah, who would be God. So they want to see if this Jesus is God. But they're skeptical. They're feeling him out. Are you the promised one that we've heard so much about, that we teach about? Are you... God. All right, so, and behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus was at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed him and anointed them with fragrant oil. Okay. So what do you think the um, crowd, the, the, all the guests, are going to think about her? These religious people are going to be deeply offended by this. They're going to be scandalized. Their religion was all, away, all about staying away from these kind of people. That's what they were about. Keeping themselves clean on the outside from dirty people. They thought, uh, you know, uh, how could she come in uninvited to this dinner, you know, when the guest is, is perhaps God? How could she be accepted? She is terrible. She is dirty. The Pharisees are keeping score. And in their mind, when they keep score, they have a lot of points, religious points, for all the things that they have done and tried to do. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, so he's already saying he's not God, if he were a prophet, he's not even a prophet, 
would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So he's saying Jesus is an imposter, and if I'm keeping score, Jesus just lost about a 1,000 points because he's blind to how dirty and gross and needy this woman is, and it's, it's disgusting. He thinks God would never accept this kind of filth. He's God. He's pure and holy. So what gives, Jesus? This is the opinion of religion. God is for good people. God is for clean people. God is for competent people. The idea that God would love a sinner was just impossible to Simon. It it was blowing his mind. And we find this attitude all the time in church. When, When we screw up, what happens? Do we feel abandoned or uninvited to church? That's that reality is the religion part that has infected church. Shouldn't be there. If people find out how stupid and sinful and addicted and petty you are, church seems to become a scary place to be. When when it should be the first place that we go when we fail. Because... What we find out in the gospel is that Jesus has grace for failures. He said, I came for those who were sick. Uh, Think of this illustration. Imagine you broke all your bones. Horrific accident. You make it up. You get hit by a train. Okay. So I know someone thought that, and I got it with the telepathy. So you break all your bones. And the ambulance comes and gets you. And you, you're, you just, you're, you're strapped in the ambulance. And you're like, hey, can we, can we stop by my house on the way to the hospital? And the ambulance driver's like, no. Are you crazy? What in the world could you possibly need at your house? And you're like, I just, I need to wash up a little bit. I need to take a bath. I need to clean up a little bit because I don't want the doctor to see me all gross and bloody and stuff. That's ridiculous, right? Same thing is true when we mess up and we're in a sin or we we fall into a sin and we try to stay away from God. Or church becomes the place that we stop coming. Do you know how many people I've seen stop coming to our church? like thousands. (laughs) And it's so sad because I never want our church or any church to be a place where people are scared of showing how broken they are. Scared about talking about how broken we are or scared about confessing their sin. That's what that means. That's what we're looking for. That's what we are going to be. We have to start the culture of being people who will be humble enough to confess our shortcomings and our sin. If we're not, we're playing the same games as everyone else. Aren't we? Simon can't believe that God would embrace messed up people like this woman. They do not qualify for his club 
We are his club. We're, we're seeing if Jesus can come into our club. And Jesus is like, I have no club, right? Jesus irresponsibly loves people who don't deserve to be loved. Jesus, if you love her, she's just going to keep doing what she's doing. When has love ever produced that kind of behavior? It doesn't. Love produces righteous behavior because a righteous response flows from it. All right, this immoral person gets the gospel. This woman is going to get the gospel. And that's what we see in the Bible. It's the immoral person that always gets the gospel in Jesus before the moral person ever gets it. People who think they're good don't get Jesus. That's what we see. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something I need to say to you. He said, teacher, say it. And Jesus said, there's a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50 denarii. So that's like 100 bucks and like 50,000 bucks, right? And when they had done nothing for which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, Simon, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. See, she's COVID conscious, right? You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus says simply, Simon, you think she should be more like you, but I'm God and I say you should be more like her. Those who think they're owed by God don't get it. Those who know that they're bad and they know they don't deserve anything, they get Jesus. He's all in with them. We are a room of sinners. People who know we are sinners. Sometimes we feel like we can't stop sinning, huh? Amen. I need a big amen there. I don't want to be the only one. Feels like I can't stop sinning. We feel the pain of failed expectations all the time, but also we feel the relief of Jesus lifting our burdens off our shoulders by his gracious love. Amen? Amen. We got the joy of knowing that we have been freely forgiven and all that we will ever need will be provided to us in spite of our completely undeserving life. I can't even promise that I'll be better next time. Can you? How many times have you done that? God, I'll never do this again. 
And how many times has that worked? It doesn't, generally. I, uh, all I can do is, like this woman, cry and thank Jesus for his love and pour out my whole heart to him as a sacrifice of praise. He has promised to fill this room with broken people. And he will make us into not famous people, not hard workers, not scholars, not successful, but the primary thing he makes us into is children of God who are able to walk forward in peace. Do you notice that's how he he ended his conversation with the woman? He says, your sins are forgiven. Walk in peace. Go in peace. That's an incredible peace that we do not earn and we do not deserve. It's a peace that passes understanding. How can she have peace when Jesus didn't even say, you got to fix your life or, or change your behavior? He just said, I love you. I'm forgiving you of everything. Walk in that peace. What do you think she's going to do? I'll tell you what. The skeptic and the religious person says, she's going to keep on sinning. God's love is going to make her sin more. That's what a religious person says. But a Christian one that follows Jesus, one that knows Jesus, says that kind of free love that Jesus just gave this woman, it will produce in her so much fruit. What kind of fruit? Love in response to Jesus. She is going to change her life, but it's not her that's doing it. It's his love that planted that seed of a righteous life that will bloom out of this woman. It's the free forgiveness that will transform anyone, including this woman. Jesus had no doubt that he was changing her life and that she would not have a problem being a prostitute anymore. He had no problem. He had no doubt. And he didn't have to tell her what to do. He showed her his love and it produces in her all that she needed. Consider this woman with me just real quick. She didn't go to church. She came to Jesus. She didn't go to church. She came to Jesus where Jesus was. There was something about him Okay, you talk to a lot of people in this world, they're kind of anti-church, some of them, but very, very, very few people are anti-Jesus because he's love and he's patient and he's kind. There was something about the way people talked about Jesus that when she heard about it, she's prostituting and she hears about this and she's convinced that Jesus would accept even her. She knows who she is, but something about the way Jesus was described to her made her so confident that Jesus would accept her and love her. And it blew her mind. Is that how we are communicating Jesus? 
Even though he was big and important, even though she was terrible, something was promised to her that when she heard about Jesus, she heard about his grace and and, and she believed it. Again, grace is the unconditional acceptance given to undeserving people by an unobligated giver. She just believed that. I don't deserve this. It was crazy, but she just believed it. It doesn't make sense. It seems too good to be true, but that's what Jesus is. He's too good to be true. And what we will do as a church is we will ask people to believe something that is too good to be true. That God loves them and will forgive them if they come to him. Not come to church, come to him. We are going to spread the message of Jesus, not this church. We'll get a new sign up in the next couple weeks, but I don't care if people ever hear about our church. I want each one of us to be telling people about Jesus so passionately that they want to come to him because of how we describe him. That's what church should be today. A bunch of sinners who tell other sinners what Jesus has done. And when we believe that, it makes us children of God who can love like him, forgive like him, and live like him in this world. So who's church for? It's for sinners who want to hear about and probably believe in the crazy and unbelievable grace of God, his love. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. Would you guys all stand with me? And Jared and Jess are going to come up and sing a song with we're all joined together in praising the Lord. Father, I thank you so much that you would would, uh, give us undeserved grace. We have walked away from you time after time after time. And your love has never once abandoned us or rejected us or, or said, I told you so when we came back. But you do produce in us the brokenness and the tears of repentance when you convict us by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we... we uh, This is our first Sunday in our new building, and, and we are so incredibly grateful and blown away by your goodness to us that you have provided a, a brand new place for us, and we love you. And I pray that we would, we would spread your name around this world, that we would champion your works. That's all, Lord, that we want to do. Help us to love each other and love, uh, be filled with your love and treat each other with kindness and, uh, and bear one another's burdens as we go about this week. Thank you so much for um, the uh, Russian church that meets here and we pray for them as they change their meeting time and as they um, just have a lot of transition. I pray that you would bless them, provide for all their needs and take care of of uh, them and, and help them to feel and sense your indescribable love. So please bless them and bless our relationship with them. Jesus, we uh, pray that you would 
consecrate this building for your use and that you would do wonderful things. And we ask all this in your name, because of your love, Jesus. Amen.